Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. But in here, we are continuing our series today that we have called Shadows. We've been looking at passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus shows us the full expression of things, of ideas that our world aspires to. And you might remember that we started this series on the Sunday after Easter by looking at John chapter 19 and the last scene of Jesus' trial before Pilate, before he is sentenced to go to the cross. And we're going to come back to that scene today and look at the earlier portion of that story at the tail end of John chapter 18. But we're picking things up kind of midstream. And at this point of the story, it's worth saying that Jesus has had a stressful 24 hours to say the Uh, He's had the Last Supper with his disciples. After that, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. While they are there in prayer, uh, an angry mob shows up to arrest Jesus, to take him to a trial before the religious leaders where they have interrogated him, they've mocked him, they've beaten him. And now it's the next morning, and the sun is coming up, and the religious authorities take Jesus to Pilate. Pilate is the, the Roman governor of the region. He is the one who actually has the authority to condemn Jesus to death. And here we are. It's been an exhausting 24 hours, and now Jesus stands before Pilate, and his life is hanging in the balance. And yet, as he arrives there, it's a little bit of an ironic scene. In chapter 18, verse 28, John says that the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, Caiaphas is the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor, to Pilate. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Do you see that? These religious leaders have been up all night scheming to have Jesus executed unjustly. And now it's the early morning and they are at Pilate's palace wanting Jesus put to death and they're concerned about the religious purity. How nice of them. Their false accusations against Jesus apparently don't disqualify them for participating in the Passover. Stepping foot inside Pilate's palace just might because it's home to the wrong kind of people. And so they stay outside. Because they've got a religious festival they're going to have to get to after they take care of this murder business. But this gives an opportunity for Jesus and Pilate to engage in this private discussion as Pilate's trying to get to the bottom of this situation. And through this all, we see Jesus is in control and is continuing to speak about who he is, not to get himself off the hook, but so that Pilate and anyone listening to him can see who he is and what his kingdom is all about. We're going to pick up the story at verse 33, where it says that Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? (laughs) Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. 
In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. The religious leaders have made it very clear they want Jesus put to death, even though they don't have a whole lot of evidence as to why that should be. So Pilate tries to get to the bottom of this. He goes inside. He has Jesus brought before him. He asks Jesus, how do you respond to these accusations being made against you? Is it true that you are claiming to be the king of the Jews? Because if he has, then Pilate has to do something about it. It's not that no one could have this title, the king of the Jews. I mean, that's what Herod the Great was called when Jesus was, was a child. He, but the problem is that you don't get that title unless Rome gives it to you. And Rome has not given Jesus the authority to call himself the king of the Jews. And so if he's running around telling people that's who he is, he's going to get in trouble pretty quickly. And maybe as I read this scene, I'm just thinking too much about personal self-preservation or something, but it seems pretty clear that just saying what Pilate wants to hear in this moment would probably get Jesus out of trouble. I mean, if he says something like, well, yeah, yeah I mean, I am a king, Pilate, but I'm just, I'm not the kind of king that you're thinking of right now. Or if he said something like, I, I mean, I mean, other people have said I'm a king, but I'm like, I'm not a threat to you, Pilate. You can calm down. Everything's going to be okay. You would think Pilate would throw this case out. But instead, Jesus asks a question, almost as if they're two friends sitting down over a cup of coffee to debate the news of the day. Do you think I'm the king of the Jews, Pilate, or is that just what, what someone has told you? Pilate seems to bristle at this. You may be a morning person, but I am not, and so I can only imagine how I would feel if I woke up in the morning to an angry mob outside my house, and now I'm trying to figure out what to do about that angry mob, and the person causing all the trouble is just wanting to have a chat instead of helping me out. I can imagine how I would feel in that moment, and Pilate seems to be having similar emotions. He doesn't care about the Jewish expectations of the Messiah and whether or not Jesus meets those expectations. He wants this crowd to calm down, and Jesus isn't helping Jesus sort of answers the question. He says, his, his kingdom's not of this world. I mean, if Jesus was bringing a typical kingdom like the ones Pilate was accustomed to, he would not only have religious leaders outside, but he would also have followers of Jesus on the way, maybe trying to fight, maybe trying to spring Jesus free or something like that, and that's not happening. Yet that does not mean Jesus does not have a kingdom. It just means that his kingdom is from another place. It's something far different than any other kingdom Pilate has ever encountered I don't know if Pilate really knows what to do with all of that, but he hears Jesus say he has a kingdom, which means he must be a king, and so he's gotten an answer, it seems, but it never seems to quite be that simple with Jesus. Jesus essentially says, well, if you want to call me a king, Pilate, that's fine, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to bring the truth. The religious leaders outside Pilate's palace have made it clear they are not interested in truth. They are interested in whatever will get Jesus put to death most quickly. Pilate is interested in the truth to the extent that it will help him keep the peace. Yet Jesus is saying, I'm here for the truth. He's not interested in using the truth to get his way. He is here for the sake of truth. And anyone who truly desires to find truth will find they cannot help but listen to what Jesus has to say. 
And it's somewhere in there where Pilate seems to move from frustrated to confused because he can't seem to get his head around what Jesus is saying. I mean, is Jesus an actual threat that I need to deal with or is he just another one of these charismatic figures that comes along every few years and they get some followers and then they drift away and we never hear from them again? I mean, does he know something that I don't? What does he mean about the truth? I don't know exactly what all the questions are running through Pilate's head, but he responds with that question, what is truth? What is truth? For being honest, it's not a bad question. Pilate asked it 2,000 years ago. I'm not so sure we have much of an answer even today. We seem to have settled on the answer in our world that truth is relative. No one can be certain about anything. You just need to do the best you can to figure out the truth for yourself. You need to make your own truth. You need to live your truth. Do whatever you think is best for yourself, regardless of how your understanding of truth interacts with the world around you or anyone else's version of the truth. You just need to do what you think is best and live your truth. We are a society unsure if there even is truth and even if there is what it might be. If there is truth, we seem to think it can't be for everyone. It can't be too all-encompassing because if so, that might mean we have to tell someone they're wrong. We're told everyone has to live their own truth. No one has authority to question your version of truth. Yet even as we proclaim that, we know that it only takes us so far. I mean, when you're in a car accident, the police and your insurance agent are not interested in your version of the truth. They're interested in what happened. Objective truth seems to always get in the way. Now, we should acknowledge that when it comes to truth, there are always various perspectives. I'm not saying that believing that there is truth in the world means you just have to take everyone's version of events at face value and never question it. There are multiple sides to every story, and a part of seeking after truth involves seeking out those perspectives to help us get to the truth. Yet, just because there are two sides to every story does not mean there is no story. Perspectives are only helpful to the extent that they help us get to the truth. Because if not, the truth will bring us crashing back into reality sooner or later. And I had an experience of this just a few weeks ago. And I'm going to preface this story by saying no preachers were harmed in the making of this sermon illustration. But a few weeks ago, we had a service night at the Normans for our last Wednesday night of the semester and my father-in-law was operating some heavy machinery picking up some brush and some leaves and he didn't know I was telling this story today I'm just now realizing and and at one point he was coming over to pick up some leaves and I don't know why I was trying to get my get kick some brush out of the way I don't know some way or another my foot ended up underneath the bucket of the machinery and I told this story to my grandpa actually a couple days ago when Whitney and I were in Missouri and his response was, well, your foot shouldn't. And he was right. And now from, from Gene's perspective, from what he could see, he saw my sunglasses fall off when this happened and so he thought I was waving at him to get him to stop just so that my sunglasses didn't get destroyed or something like that. And that was true to an extent, but the bigger problem was that my foot was in pain. And in that moment, We could say, I'm putting words in his mouth, but it's fine. In that moment, we could say that that Gene's truth was that my glasses had fallen off and they didn't need to be destroyed. But it does not matter how badly he wants to believe that that is the truth about that situation. It did not change the objective reality that my foot was in pain and something had to be done 
about it. it. And that seems to be how truth works. Sooner or later, relative truth, as nice as it might be in theory, is brought down by real objective truth that is not dependent upon how we feel in any given moment or what we would like to be true, but on what is actually concretely true. So if that is the case, what do we do to try to find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? If there seems to be some standard of truth out there, how do we determine what that standard is? If we put one person in charge of determining truth, will they just use that power to hurt others and consolidate their own power? And so again, we're left with Pilate's question, what is truth. What does the message of Jesus have to say, whether it's being, to this question, whether it's being asked by a Roman governor in Jerusalem in the first century, or an average person on the street in North America in the 21st? Pilate walks away from Jesus without giving him a chance to answer, but, but if we could imagine, just a little bit, I'd like for us to ponder the idea that maybe Pilate hung around and waited for Jesus' response. Because if you read through the entire Gospel of John, you will find that that word truth shows up quite a bit. And actually, I'd never noticed it until working on this sermon. If you look at every time the noun truth appears in the Gospel of John, right here when Pilate asks, what is truth, is the last time it shows up in this book. So Pilate might not hang around long enough to get an answer to his question, but it seems that John wants us to figure out the answer based on what he has already told us in this story. So if we back up to look at the other uses of this word truth in the Gospel of John, what do we find? We don't have time to unpack every single use of that word throughout this book, but I would like to take just a few minutes to skim over the uses of this word to try to ponder what Jesus might say to this question, what is truth? truth. We could go all the way back to John 1, 17, where John says that grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. Right from the beginning of this book, John wants us to know that when we look to Jesus, we see truth perfectly represented. So maybe Jesus would say to Pilate that, that he's come full of grace even for people like you, Pilate. We could jump ahead to chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24. Jesus is having a conversation with this woman from Samaria. He says that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers of God will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate that truth is not just a list of facts. It's something you experience, and it's something you only fully experience in worship of God. We could look at chapter 5 and verse 33. Jesus is in a dialogue with these religious leaders about who he is, and he speaks about John the Baptist for a little bit. He says, you, you sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. And Jesus says... That they should listen to what they should have listened to what John the Baptist had to say because John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. Because John the Baptist spoke the truth, that means that he should be believed, and that means that Jesus should be believed as well. Maybe Jesus could have said to Pilate that he proclaims the truth, but he's not standing out on his own. There are other witnesses like John the Baptist, like the Old Testament, like so many others, pointing to who he is as he proclaims the truth. We can look at John 8, 32, a passage we looked at just a few weeks ago where Jesus is again in a dialogue with these religious leaders and he says, if you, 
when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Continues on from there to say anyone who does not listen to him does not know the truth. He says, if you don't follow me, you are on the side of the enemy of the devil, and he speaks his native language when he lies. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate that being opposed to him means living in lies instead of living in the truth. Maybe John or Jesus could have just reminded Pilate of some things he had said in the previous night during the Last Supper. In John 14, 6, Jesus tells his disciples he is going away. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas responds. He says, Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. We don't know the way. And Jesus tells him in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate what he told his disciples the night before, that the truth is a person. It's Jesus who has come to lead us into life. He goes to skip down a few verses to verses 15 to 17, where Jesus is again telling his disciples that he is going to leave, but he tells them that, that after he is gone, he will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus says he is going away, but God will send his spirit to be with them, and he calls that the spirit of truth. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate, truth is not something you find your way to on your own. It is something God desires to lead you into through his spirit. Later in John 15, 26, Jesus says that when this spirit of truth comes, when the, he calls it the advocate, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate exactly that. The truth points to Jesus. Maybe he could have jumped to 16, chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, where he says, when, when he, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not only speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit has come to guide God's people into all truth, filling in the gaps of what Jesus' disciples don't understand as he is teaching them here on this last night. He is with them. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate, the truth is not a list of facts you agree with. It is a journey as God leads his people into a deeper understanding of who he is so that they might be people of the truth. Or maybe Jesus could have told Pilate about his prayer right before he's arrested in John 17, 17. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, sanctify them, make his followers holy by the truth. He says, your word is truth. Maybe Jesus could have told Pilate, truth has been revealed to us by God through his scriptures and most by his son, the one who is called the word. There is such a thing as truth. And Jesus has come to make it known. It's not something we feel out for ourselves. There is a standard of truth we have to deal with on Jesus' terms. But at the same time, because truth comes, comes from and comes in the form of Jesus, that means that truth is not just a ruling from on high. God's truth is not a logical syllogism, or not just a logical syllogism. You might remember from school, syllogism is something like point one all cars have wheels point two i have a car point three my car probably has wheels 
And logical syllogisms are helpful for working through basic reasoning, but if the final objective truth of life was just that, then that means we could turn it into a weapon to use against someone that disagrees with us until they submit to our line of reasoning. But instead, truth is only understood when we understand it in Jesus. And that might make truth more difficult, but it is far better Because it means that while there is objective truth, it is not a set of facts imposed upon us, but it comes to us in the form of a person who is inviting us into a relationship with him. I've heard it said as a principle of leadership that when you need to have a difficult conversation with someone, you should always try to go one degree more intimate than you would like to go. And so that means that if you're mad at someone and you just want to fire off a text or an email at them, you should probably take the time to make a phone call instead. Or if you have to deliver a hard truth and you don't want to have to really deal with it, so you're just going to make a phone call and hang up as quickly as you can, you should probably take the time to set up an in-person meeting to talk it through with them. And the logic behind that is that usually when we need to have a difficult conversation, we're mainly concerned about ourselves. And that principle forces us to think about the other person and enter into a more personal relationship with you. Because if I'm mad at you and I just fire off an email and and forget about it, it's much easier for me to ignore how I am making you feel than if you are sitting in my house at at my dining room table. And we're forced into personal relationships so that even if we have to deliver difficult truth, we are doing it from the perspective of thinking about the other person. And that is the value of knowing truth in Jesus. We don't come to know ultimate truth through memorizing facts. We know truth when we know Jesus. He has come to show us grace and truth. He has come so that we might know God and worship him fully, as he told the woman in John chapter 4. He has come to point to the truth about who God is and to fulfill his purposes, as he told the religious leaders in chapter 5. He's come to set us free from sin, as he said in chapter 8. He has come to lead us into life with God, as he said in chapter 14. He's come to send his spirit to us so that we might be made into people of the truth. He's come to lead us into a deeper experience of who God is and the life he desires for us, as he says in chapters 14 and 15 and 16. He has come to make us new through the word of God, as he prays in chapter 17. He has come to bring us the truth, to make us people of the truth, through knowing him. This is the one who is standing before Pilate. This is the one that Pilate asks, what is truth, and then walks away. And that's maybe just a glimpse into all that Jesus could have said in response to this question from Pilate. But if you notice, throughout this entire episode, Pilate continues to go back and forth. Uh, He'll go outside and talk to the the religious leaders, then he'll come back inside and talk to Jesus, then he'll go back outside again, then he'll come back in and talk to Jesus some more. And that physical movement, that back and forth, I think is just a glimpse into the wrestlings happening within his soul. Because on the one hand... He has Jesus who is claiming to reveal the truth and on the other hand he has an angry mob that wants Jesus dead and Pilate never really makes a decision. He never really finds an answer to this question about what is truth. But he allows the crowd to make it for him in these last few verses. Picking up in the middle of verse 38. With this, 
he, Pilate, went out to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Has offered truth, embodied perfectly in himself to anyone who would want it, even someone like Pilate, and instead of taking Jesus up on his offer, Pilate walks back out to this crowd. And he seems to try to resolve this issue where Jesus is at the center without ever really having to deal with Jesus directly. I mean, he thinks Jesus is innocent. He would like for the crowd to see things from his perspective and come around on that matter. But he, he never responds to what Jesus offers to him. Jesus offers truth perfectly in himself. The crowd offers political expediency represented in Barabbas. Now Barabbas is exactly the kind of person that Rome would typically want to put on a cross. John tells us he's taken part in an uprising and from what we can piece together it seems like Barabbas had tried and failed to lead or help out in a rebellion against Rome and now he's on death row and Rome loves to make examples out of people like Barabbas to put them up on a cross and say this is what happens when you try to stand up to us. Pilate has already said Jesus poses no threat. It seems pretty clear that Barabbas does, but the crowd wants Barabbas. Jesus has said he represents truth. Barabbas seems to represent violence and lust for power. Jesus has said his kingdom is not of this world. Barabbas has made it pretty clear he intends the kingdom of this world. This crowd and Pilate are faced with a choice between Jesus and or Barabbas, between two different visions of truth, between two different understandings of how the world is supposed to function, and the crowd wants Barabbas, and eventually Pilate will decide it's easier to just give in. The truth of Jesus can be so difficult to grasp because it is a person, a person calling us into new creation. It's not calling us to come and be a part of a kingdom like all the ones of this world that vie for power and fight with one another. But if Jesus is right, if he actually is the perfect embodiment of truth, then that means that the way our world goes about truth does not work. Truth is no longer something we argue over. It is something to know in a person, to experience personally. It is something to be transformed by. If Jesus is right, truth is no longer something we debate. It is something we experience as people of the truth who have come to know Jesus. Pilate and this crowd decide they do not want Jesus' embodiment of truth. But we are faced with the same question. Jesus has come to us, has claimed to embody truth, and we have to decide what we are going to do with it. We can't allow others to decide for us. We can't kick the can down the road. Jesus is either the perfect embodiment of truth, as he claimed, or he is not. And we have to decide which option we will take. And that might sound overbearing, but those are the stakes Jesus plays on. He's either come as truth or he has not. Either truth is objective and is revealed in Jesus, or we are all left to wander in the dark as best we can. If the claims Jesus makes are wrong, then they were, 
then his claims were irrelevant by the time John was writing them down 50 or 60 years after Jesus was on the earth, and they are even more irrelevant today. But if he's right, we have to deal with truth represented in him. To use the words of C.S. Lewis, if we take Jesus seriously, either Jesus is a liar, one of, if not the most deceitful person to ever walk on this earth, he is a lunatic, as insane as they come, or he is Lord, the perfect embodiment of truth, and the one who should be listened to above all else. Pilate can't decide on what to do about the truth of Jesus, but John won't let us off that hook. We have to respond to the claims of Jesus. Either he has come to this earth to perfectly represent the truth of who God is and how we are to live, or he has not. Either we are left to find out what is best for us and makes us happy, or we were created by God to live in relationship with him through Jesus. I don't know where you are with Jesus this morning. I don't know if you've never followed him. I don't know if you have followed him in the past or if right now you're doing the best you can to keep him out on the edge of life on your terms. I don't know, but I know that he has come as the truth. And I would encourage you to look closely at him. He's come to show us the truth that we are sinners in bondage, rebels against our God, trapped in need of freedom, but he has come to show us the truth of God's love, to show us a grace we did not deserve so that we might have life. He has come so we might have relationship with our God. He's come to set us free. He's come to lead us into life. He's come to bring us the spirit of God so that we might know God and the life we were created to live. He has come because of the truth that we are more sinful than we'd care to admit and more loved than we could ever imagine. And we are here together as a group of people desiring to be formed more and more into the image of Christ. More and more into the image of being people of the truth each and every day. And we are desiring to do that together. And if you need help in navigating what that looks like in your own life, come find me, find Isaac, stop by the Welcome Center before you leave today. Whatever you do, experience life in the truth Jesus has come to bring. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come to us to show us the truth. That although we and our world may have so many opinions on what the truth is and how to make sense of it and what is supposed to matter in life, that you have come to us to show us your grace and your truth your grace that we did not deserve, and the truth of who God is and the life he desires for us. And we come before you now, Father, as a group of people from all walks of life, with all sorts of experiences and backgrounds and baggage that may or may not help or hinder us as we hear your, your claims about who you are and the truth you have come to bring. But God, my prayer for us is that we would seek your truth, seek the truth as it is revealed in Jesus, of who you are, 
what you've come to accomplish for us so that we might have life in you. Thank you for the hope that we have, for the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Help us to step into that life and be people of the truth now and for eternity. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 